Good morning to those of you that are in the building and good morning to those of you at home. What a good thing it is to be able to put aside the week and meet together and support each other and worship together and praise together. It's what community is all about. And if you are at home on your couch in your jammies with your coffee, you are a part of this family and we invite you to join with us too. Would you stand and sing with us? Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet. Your love is surprising, I can feel it rising. All the joy that's growing deep inside of me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing me sing your love is amazing your love is amazing steady and unchanging your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet your love is surprising i can feel it rising all the joy that's growing deep inside of me amazing steady and changing your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet your love is surprising i can feel it rising all the joy that's growing deep inside of me has heard 
and no mind has ever The glorious things that you have prepared for everyone who has believed. Yes, you brought us near and you called us your own and made us joint heirs with your. Objects of mercy that should have known wrath We're filled with unspeakable joy Riches of wisdom, unsearchable wealth And the wonder of knowing your voice You are our treasure grace, how faithful your ways, how great is your love, oh Lord, how high, how high and how wide, how deep and how long, how sweet and how strong is your love, how lavish your grace, how faithful your ways. Nice to see you. You're looking good. So are you. Thank you. Wave at each other as you're seated this morning. We have another week of being reminded that it doesn't have to be a huge crowd to be a powerful, intense crowd, and you're really engaging this morning. You can be seated. Great to have you with us. Welcome to the service. For those of you who are watching from home or elsewhere, we want to welcome you too. We're glad that you could join us, be with us this morning, and experience all that God has for us wherever we find ourselves today. I do have a couple of announcements. I just want to remind you and, well, announce for the first time, actually, that our annual business meeting for this year is scheduled for Sunday, March the 27th, and it's going to be at 11.15 a.m., so we'll do our service. Uh, We'll close our service. Those who are leaving can leave. And then right at 11.15, uh, we'll begin our annual business meeting. 
and uh, we will be doing it here in the sanctuary. And so our, our, our encouragement would be, those of you who are members, who hold official membership at Evangel, if you can be present for that meeting, it would be great. If you can't, we will be offering an online option for you. Um, it's, a, it's not as ideal, but uh, if you can't be here, we understand. And so for this year, again, because circumstances uh, just seem to keep Oping, uh, operating in a circular fashion. We're right back here again this year. Uh, so we will be offering that. So uh, there'll be more details coming as we get closer. Just want to remind you as well, those of you who do hold official membership, later this week we will be emailing out to you a, an online opportunity for nominations for the admin council positions, the two positions that will need to be filled at the annual business meeting this year. And for those of you who are not on our email list, there'll be hard copy opportunities for you here on Sunday mornings. We'll have that starting next Sunday as well, where you can actually fill in that uh, nomination ballot and leave it here uh, as you, as you uh, uh, attend next Sunday morning. So just keep those two things in mind as uh, we uh, approach uh, March. We'll be here before you know it. And so, kids, if you are in JK up to grade five, you are free to go and with your children's workers this morning. And I uh, just want to hand it back over to Carlene to continue to lead us. God bless you as you worship this morning. It's interesting to me as I teach, and I've, I've been a teacher for 26 years, so I'm not new to it. But the one thing you see all the time is that the majority of the problems that happen, and I'm an elementary school teacher, so they're the littles. A lot of the problems that happen on the playground or in the hallway or in the classroom are because the kids want to belong. They want to join a game and they're not allowed. They want to be a friend to that person over there and that person doesn't want to have anything to do with them. The drama that happens between this social group and that social group, and it boils down every single time to these kids have a need to feel like they have a place, that they're seen and they're known and they belong. And we are no different as adults and we're no different in the spiritual world. We have a need that is put inside us by a God who is relational. He made us for relationship. He wants relationship. And we have this need inside us that responds in the same way. But so often in our relationships towards people, our belonging, our acceptance, our feelings of acceptance, a lot of times we use that as currency against each other. We have to earn a place. We have to work hard to feel that sense of belonging. And it just is not the same with our Heavenly Father. When we are bought and paid for and released from our sin and our chains, when we are adopted into the family of God, we belong, period. It can't be shaken. We don't earn it. You can't belong more or belong less. There is a rock solid place where we can stand in that need of belonging and it is in his love and it is in his relationship. So this morning as we sing about the cross and as we sing about a blood that paid a price we could never have paid, 
when we sing about belonging, may it remind you, may it call you back to that place of security that we belong. We have a place. We don't need to fight for it, work for it, do anything for it other than to submit to his love, which is there and it's big and it covers everything. Oh, you called me out of darkness and you silenced the end of- 
that this amazing grace, this amazing love, we receive it, we want to be changed by it, and we stand in confidence in it this morning. Amen and amen. Would you remain standing for the reading of his word? Our scripture reading this morning is actually just two verses as an introduction to the series that we'll be doing um, throughout this month. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You may be seated. Thank you, Carlene, for leading us this morning. Thank you all for your engagement in the service this morning as well. When anything in life continues beyond the time that we expected or wanted it, it to continue, it inevitably has an impact on us. There is no question that prolonged challenges can ultimately affect our lives in a positive way. And we come out of it after a long stretch and we feel that we were better than we were before. And so we all experience that. But we have learned that prolonged challenges often affect our lives in a negative way. Now, we are currently approximately 23 months into a pandemic that most of us expected to be a couple of months at best. I mean, I remember back in March of 2020, meeting with our admin council when, when things shut down. And I remember someone saying, I heard someone say, this could go to June. And we're gasping and thinking, no, it's not going to go from May to June. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It'll be over before then. Well, welcome to almost June, two years later. The roller coaster pandemic ride that we have been on has had a negative effect on most of us. It has certainly impacted our health. I read yesterday in the Oakville News that Halton region alone had a record number of deaths this past week of any time during the last 23 months. It's affected us, our health, for sure. But it's also impacted us Emotionally, it's impacted us relationally. It's impacted us economically. There's currently a phenomenon, and you're likely aware of it, that we're experiencing that many are calling the great resignation. The great resignation. That in 2021, 2021 was a record year for people voluntarily leaving their jobs. It was a record year. Now, when you dig deeper into that statistic, you'll notice that many are not leaving the workforce. They're actually leaving the stress of their current jobs 
many of which for a lot of people were low paying, like restaurants and so on, and are taking higher paying jobs that they hope will provide a better quality of life for them in the future. So that makes up a fair number of the great resignation. But many others are leaving their jobs because of burnout. And we see this primarily in healthcare, we see this in education, and we see this with frontline workers because they have carried and continue to carry the heavy load and they're exhausted. They're exhausted. Now, what many people, I believe, are not speaking of is how the pandemic has affected us spiritually. Spiritually. And so in polling that's been done all over North America, the message that's coming back is consistent. Whether you live in the U.S. or Canada, the East Coast, the West Coast, South, North, it doesn't matter. The information that's coming back is the same. Most churches have seen a significant drop in the number of people engaging in ministry that were engaging in ministry in those churches before. Now, some people are leaving church and faith altogether. There were many people sitting in pews who didn't want to be there and didn't know how to leave, didn't know how to disappear, didn't know how to explain that without being chased and pursued. And, And all of a sudden, there has been an opportunity for them to quietly slip off the scene. And there are thousands upon thousands of people who used to attend church who no longer do or no longer will because they have indicated they're done, they're gone, and they're not coming back. Some have left and gone to other churches because maybe another church aligns with their own individual views or those views are being communicated more on a consistent basis and they like the actions that that church is taking or the opinions that that church is expressing, And especially if you come here because I don't express a lot of opinions, strategically. And that does frustrate some people. And I'd like to say I'm sorry for that, but I would be lying if I said that, so I can't. Overall, church finances are down right across the board. There are exceptions where finances are good, but oftentimes you finish well because you spent so much less because it was a pandemic. And churches have not been able to provide the ministry that they once provided because they have limited volunteers, they have limited finances, and because of restrictions that are in place. These are realities that are affecting the spiritual component of our lives. Now, you may be surprised, and actually I was somewhat, that many are including clergy in that burnout group. I read, you might say, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I recently read a report, actually about three weeks ago, from the Barna Research Group from actually November. A lot of times when people quote statistics, they're from like 20 years ago, right? You know, but this was from November, so just a few months ago. And this is what it said, that when they surveyed pastors, 38% of all Protestant pastors said that they had considered quitting full-time ministry in the past year. 38%. So I, when I hear statistics, I 
Because sometimes statistics seem like they're just these, they're not real people, right? They're just numbers. So I, I began to think about that in terms of, of my life and what I know and who I know. And as I reflected on that, I thought of five colleagues of mine who have resigned their churches during COVID. And I realized as I reflected on that, that none of them, none of them took the leadership of another church. One retired, and the other four went into full-time administrative jobs. Hmm. Now, according to Barna Research, the main issues that are, this is all going somewhere, by the way, in case you're wondering. Actually, I just feel like ranting today. I've been pent up in my room for 10 days, right, with recovering from COVID and isolating, and I, I'm just, this is just my rant day, so glad you came. Glad you're watching. According to Barna Research, the main issues that are causing pastors to leave the ministry are centered around division and disputes primarily related to the COVID pandemic and responses to that. So things like conspiracy theories, vaccinations, pro or anti. Do you stay open? Do you close? Are masks okay or is that a violation of our rights? People's political views mesh, very bad combination when we mesh our faith with political things, but that's happening a lot. And all of these things are creating a response. And so in the midst of this, the response of many believers and many churches has been to establish boundary lines. This is where we stand on these issues. Here are the boundary lines. Whenever, and whenever a boundary is established, some are inevitably inside the line and some are outside the line. A division is created that impacts individuals and churches as a whole. And so in times like these, I believe it is important for us, followers of Jesus, to pull back and once again reacquaint ourselves with the teachings of Jesus. With the teachings of Jesus. Not with the teachings of someone on TV or a radio program or a podcast or a book or carrying a placard, but reacquaint ourselves with the teachings of Jesus. And so today we are launching a new series. See, I told you it would go somewhere. Today we are launching a new series entitled Love Beyond Boundaries based on the teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 15. Now, on Wednesday, this was supposed to be a four-week series, but on Thursday when I began writing the first sermon, I, I thought, yeah, this is too much for the first week. So I'm doing an introduction today and then there'll be four more. So our February series is going to sneak into the first week of, of March. In this chapter... The religious leaders are focused on establishing boundaries of who was in and who was out. And as a result of that, there's a conflict. A conflict arises between them and Jesus. When Jesus' actions and Jesus' teachings clearly ignore their boundaries. And so in this chapter, we, we find a series of three parables that Jesus told. They are three parables, but they're really all one big parable that reiterate that God's love 
cannot be contained by boundaries. That love is indeed better than boundaries. Love is better than boundaries. And so today we're going to begin with an introduction so we can better understand what's happening here. And over the next three weeks, we'll consider each of the three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and then wrap it up with what the whole series of parables is about in the first place, which is the response of the older brother at the end of the story of the lost son. They all lead to that, and we'll end there. Now, throughout this series, we will be reminded that in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. Love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. So let's start. Let's start by talking about the Pharisees. When our children were little, and they reached, seems like a long time ago now, and you know why it seems like a long time ago? Because it was a long time ago. When our children were little and reached the stage where they became mobile, we quickly took steps to ensure that they were safe and to keep them from harm. We learned that there is no faster land mammal than a toddler who's asked the question, what do you have in your mouth? You've experienced that, right? And so we quickly took steps to keep them safe, to keep them from injury and harm. We put gates at the top and the bottom of the stairs. We put safety locks on cabinet doors. We put those, you know, covers on the doorknobs. I got a confession to make. I can't even open a door with one of those covers on the doorknob. I go downstairs. I think we have them in the nursery still downstairs. I can't even get into our own nursery. I can't work around the child lock. I, I just can't. And so we, we put those on the, we put inserts in the electrical outlets. We put dangerous items up high so they couldn't reach them. We, we put soft material around sharp corners and sharp edges, hoping and praying that these boundaries that we were putting in place would protect them, right? Would keep them safe. The Pharisees in scripture were the self-proclaimed protectors of the Jewish faith. They took it upon themselves to test new teachers, to test new teaching, to test new movements with the goal of protecting the beliefs and the systems and the laws that they had created. They wanted to protect those. And so to accomplish their goals, they created boundaries to assist them in clarifying who and what was acceptable and who and what wasn't acceptable. And so we see that there, was, there were boundaries between Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews were covenant people. Gentiles were not. They were outside. They were despite it. And let's, let's be honest. They were even hated. They were hated. You can say, well, we didn't hate them. But yes, yeah, they did. They hated them. There were boundaries between the dead and the living. You couldn't, you know, as, as, a, as a good Jewish spiritual person, you couldn't associate with death. If you did, you were defiled. And so there were, you know, there were strict laws about associating with death. And we know that Jesus got in trouble a few times over that one. Health and sickness. There were 
boundaries there because there was a belief that if you were sick, you must have done something wrong. Sadly, that still exists with some people today. And so, you, you know, it means if you were sick, right? And so we see this with the, with the lepers and the paralytic and the blind and the deaf. And we see one example in scripture where actually it's very blatant, where Jesus healed a blind man and, and someone said, Jesus, whose fault is it that he was, that he's blind? Was it, was it his parents or was it him? Because, well, we know somebody is at fault for this sickness so, or, or this, you know, deformity or, you know, physical ailment. So, you know, who, who is it? Because there were boundaries between those things. There were boundaries between the righteous and the sinners. You don't associate. If you're a spiritual person, you couldn't be around a tax collector or a Samaritan or someone who had perceived to have failed morally. You, you couldn't be around those people. There were, there were boundaries. There were boundaries between work and rest that these days you could do this, but on the Sabbath, there were these rules that got so out of control that they even missed the whole point of the Sabbath, trying to protect the Sabbath. And so for this reason, they kept a close eye on Jesus and on his teaching and on this growing discipleship movement with great concern. In fact, on many occasions, they interpreted Jesus' behavior and teaching as rebellious to the Jewish faith, outside of the boundaries of the Jewish faith, that his behavior and his teaching actually conflicted. They thought that Jesus, the Son of God, was actually conflicted with the character of God, that he was blasphemous. Now, consequently, the gospel record multiple instances of Jesus getting in trouble. Like, he just did a lot. Being challenged by the Pharisees as they attempted to fulfill their role of protecting their orthodoxy at all costs. So we have Pharisees. We have parables here. And so one of the things that I enjoy doing most with my brother, I like doing a lot of things with my brother, but I like fishing with my brother. I like fishing because it kind of instills this competitiveness with us. I can be a little competitive at times. You know, when people say, you don't play to win, you play to have fun, I'm thinking, like, who ever thought of that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Of course you play to win. Why else would you play? And so there's this competitiveness with us of who can catch the biggest fish. I mean, that's, that's the thing. When you go fishing, you get to go home saying, I caught the biggest fish. I know you're like that too. Now, while every good fishing story claims the biggest fish, the best way to settle is to compare the fish, to lay them side by side so you can see. So I've done that for you this morning. I want you to see that's the kind of fish that I catch. I don't even think you can see what he's holding. It's so small. It's, the, it's not even the size of his hand. My fish is much bigger than his. And we know that because I've laid them side by side and you can see for yourself, right? The word parable literally means to lay alongside for the purpose of comparison. That's what it means to tell a parable, to lay something alongside of something, to compare them. Now, in using a parable... A teacher is using a comparison that people can relate to, to learn a valuable lesson from. 
The most common definition of a parable that we hear, which troubles me a little bit, is that they're earthly stories with heavenly meanings. That's what you'll often read about a parable. But parables are not earthly stories that help us understand heavenly things. They're earthly stories that help us understand kingdom life here on earth. They're about right here and right now. They're earthly stories about earthly things. That's what they're about, right here and right now. And the purpose of this parable is to inspire, of any parable, is to inspire a listener to do something. So you, you hear, you, you, you imagine the comparison, you reflect on what it is that's being said, and then you act accordingly. That's, that's the purpose. And so it's the response to the story, the action, that's the key to telling the story. Right? When we tell a story, we want, it's the reaction that we're looking for when we tell a story. And so through parables, we're able to see and understand what we normally wouldn't necessarily see and understand. Now, it's important to note that even though Jesus used parables a lot, parables were an established teaching method And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see parables all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets use parables all the time as a means of teaching. And then Jesus used this common form of teaching that was very familiar in Jewish culture in his teaching in the New Testament. So Jesus didn't invent parables, but he used parables. And Jesus' parables generally were brief, you know, no unnecessary details, straightforward, often anonymous characters in them. There's never more than either two people or two groups of people. They're always human-focused. They're fictional stories. That's where a lot of people have a hard time. People think that the prodigal son actually was a living person. Likely they could have been, but the story Jesus is telling, it's, it's a parable. They're fictional characters from everyday life. They're engaging. They create interest. People could enter into the story because they could see themselves in the story. That's the thing about telling a good story is when we're reading a story or hearing a story and we can see ourselves in that story, then, then it's engaging. And they often included, included reversals, right? Like, who expected the Samaritan to be the good one in the Good Samaritan story? Well, if, if you read the title at the top, yes, but The people who were hearing it weren't reading it, and so they were expecting the priest or the Levi to be the hero, but no, it's it's the Samaritan or the tax collector or, or the poor man is better off than the rich man. Reversals. And they're always God-centered. And so we'll see that as we move through these parables. Aren't you glad I'm not doing this and the first parable this morning? Whew, we could be here till like 11.15. All right, so let's get to the context of our scripture. In Luke 15, we find a series of three parables that Jesus told to reiterate that God's love cannot be contained by boundaries, that love is indeed better than boundaries. In the previous chapter, verse four, chapter 14, Jesus told the parable of, a great, of the great banquet. And he told that story to demonstrate who would actually be included in the kingdom of God. And the answer when he told that parable that was shocking to a lot of the religious people. It was, wow, it was all these unlikely people. That's not who you expected to be invited into the kingdom of God, to the great banquet. You invite the who's who, the religious, the spiritual. And Jesus said, no, you guys aren't, you know, we, I tried to invite you, but you didn't want to come. So you know what? I, I invited these others. And so he told, he told that parable. As was often the case with Jesus, he demonstrated 
what he was teaching in words, because he, you know, he's a, he was a prophet mighty in word, right? Words and deeds. And so he followed up his teaching with, with practical things. And so at the start of chapter 15, we're seeing the practical outflow of what he talked about in Luke 14, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners are coming to him as they often did because they wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to listen to him. They wanted to be around him. They just wanted to be where he was. And so these religious leaders and Pharisees are are observing this, and in response to what they're seeing, they complained because he welcomed, to quote them, he welcomed sinners and even ate with them. I want you to know that their accusation was correct. (laughs) Jesus did indeed violate their boundaries. He did. And he not only welcomed sinners, it was like, I love this because he's like, oh, you guys think I just welcome them? Oh, no, I'm going to tell you three stories to show you. Not only do I welcome them, I pursue them. I strategically go out of my way to make sure they're here. Now, sharing a meal in this culture held great significance because eating was a sign of friendship of acceptance. You wouldn't eat with someone that you didn't accept. And so by eating with sinners and those outside the Pharisees' boundary, in their minds, Jesus had gone too far. In fact, by receiving them, he wasn't only rebelling against their laws, he was rebelling against God. Truth be told, they're scared. They're afraid. They don't know how to respond to this. They don't know what to do with this. They don't know what to do with one who has such great authority, who claims to be God, and who demonstrates a a type of grace that Jesus is demonstrating here, and they have no idea what to do with this. It is scaring them beyond imagination. Because for them, it was easier to build fences, boundaries, but to Jesus, it was the better response was to build a longer table. And so they wanted boundaries in force, but Jesus wants boundaries removed. And there's conflict. It's important to note that those outside the boundary, what does it say? They're eager to listen. They want to listen. They want to be with him. They want to learn from him. But those who are inside the boundary, they're not listening at all. They're not listening at all. Do you know how many church people I have met in 34 years of pastoral ministry that I can't teach anything to? Because they already know everything. They already know it all. I can't say anything to change their mind. They already know. And that's the same thing here. They already know. They don't need to listen to Jesus. They don't want to pay attention while all of these others want to hear, want to learn, want to change, want to grow. And while they're eager, the religious elite are complaining because it's not going the way they want it to go. And to help them understand 
that in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equal, equally valuable to God, Jesus told these three parables. In conclusion, there are two things that I want to leave with you this morning as we prepare our journey through these parables. The first is fences. It is important for us to understand the strenuous, I mean, you think we're living in a strenuous political, religious environment? Can you just imagine what it was like in the time of Jesus with Roman rule and being at odds with the Jewish people and all of that was going on? The strenuous political and religious environment that existed in the time of Jesus is important for us to understand. The Pharisees were trying to figure out how to best live, how to best respond in such a polarizing environment. I want you to know today, I don't think they were bad people. I don't. I know in Sunday school, when we put them on the flannel graph when I was growing up, they were like the devil in flesh. But I, I, think they, I don't think they were bad people. For the most part, they were good people with good intentions who couldn't grasp the type of love and grace that Jesus was offering. Good people with good intentions that just didn't get it. In fact, they believed that this type of love and grace was detrimental to the faith. It was risky. It was damaging to the faith. I think they were good people with good intentions. They wanted their children to grow up in a godly society. So they demanded boundaries that would ensure that happened. They wanted to protect people from spiritual degeneration. They wanted to warn people about assimilating with pagan culture, and so they put these boundaries in place to keep that from happening. They wanted to protect God's word, at least their understanding of it. <laughs> I love it when people say to me, the Bible says, and I say, no, your interpretation of what the Bible says. Those are two very different things. And this was their understanding of it. And they put a boundary around their understanding of it. And the Pharisees felt justified in building fences and establishing boundaries because they were afraid that they couldn't protect what they believed was the most important stuff. So I'm giving them some credit today. But what they didn't understand, and you know why I'm giving them credit? Because I've lived a lot of my life the same way. I have, so I understand Pharisees because I've been one lots of times. And I take great comfort in the fact that you're a Pharisee too. So we're all in it together. We have those moments. What they didn't understand was that the boundaries they established not only did not accomplish what they set out to do, it was a failure. But actually, they ended up in the end creating even bigger problems. By protecting what they valued, they were keeping people from experiencing God's love and grace. I believe we can easily get caught up in the fence-building business to protect what we deem to be important. We're not bad people. 
We're not. Well, maybe some of you, but most of us aren't bad people. But in our quest to protect what we value, we believe we need to establish these boundaries, boundaries that can sometimes stand in the way of what God wants to do. Sometimes our boundaries to protect God are actually a hindrance to what God wants to do. Think about that all afternoon. We learn our boundaries from where? Well, you probably learned them where I learned them from. I grew up believing what I did because of the house I grew up in. If I grew up in a different house that believed different things, I would have grown up believing different things. The first place where my boundaries were established was in my family and their faith. And then the church we attended, well, their values reflected the church we attended. So when I went to church, it was the values from home were, for the most part, reiterated there. We build our boundaries based on a book we read or a radio program we listen to or a podcast that we listen to. Or, you know what? There's a lot of TV programs that we watch and a lot of our boundaries and beliefs are established by what certain people on those programs are telling us. We're told in those programs that from our homes to our churches to what we read, we are told who's in and who's out. What's okay, what's not okay. And so we create these boundaries and trying to figure out how to best live and respond in a polarizing environment like we find ourselves in today with so many voices speaking at us, we tend to gravitate to fences and boundaries. And in doing so, I believe we are missing an opportunity to reflect the true kingdom of God that we see lived out in the life and teachings of Jesus. That's why I said earlier, we need to come back to him. Tables. As I said earlier, the response of the Pharisees was to build higher fences, but Jesus' response was to build a longer table. Jesus made it very clear that the kingdom of God is about The kingdom of God is about a bigger table. It's about the great banquet. It's a table that invites the least likely. Those who are perceived in the minds of many to be undeserving. We are living in a strenuous and religious environment. Strenuous political and religious environment today. Where those two things come together often in a very unhealthy marriage, I might add. And we're trying to figure out how to best live. We're trying to figure out how to best respond in such a polarizing environment. Whose side do we pick? Whose side are we on? And what we learn from Jesus and the Pharisees is that longer tables and not higher fences, that's the solution. And I believe that it's time for us to follow the example of Jesus. I mean, yeah, there's some heresy being preached. It's time for us to follow the example of Jesus. Not our denomination, not our tradition, not our favorite TV preacher, not our favorite book, not someone's opinion on the radio or a podcast. It's time for us to follow the example of Jesus. 
and love beyond boundaries and to tear down the walls that divide us and to love everyone equally. I believe it's time for us to accept the fact that it's okay to have varying opinions. Do you hear me? It's okay that we don't all have the same opinions. It's okay that we disagree on some issues. That's okay. We can disagree. We can have different opinions and still be a community that's united under Jesus. You see, not, the truth is not all boundaries separate believers from unbelievers. There are a lot of boundaries within the church community that are dividing brothers from sisters, brothers from brothers and sisters from sisters and brothers from sisters. Because people hold different opinions and they want different things. And the boundaries are not just about who's worthy to be in the kingdom and who isn't, but, but who's really spiritual and who isn't because they, they, whether they see things like I see it or they don't see it like I see it. And I want to say this morning emphatically, because this is my rant day, remember? That these boundaries are destroying church community. They're destroying church community. And they're keeping us from living out the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus wants us to. And it's time for us to focus on the one thing that we have in common. Read the New Testament. Paul says it at different points. Yes, there's varying opinions, but you know what? That's okay because we all believe this. First John, you believe this, we believe that, that group believes that. It's okay as long as we all believe this. Let's focus on what unites us. Well, what is it that brings us all together that we all have in common? If we don't, well, we're not in anyway. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's our unifier right there. We can, we can think this is good or we can think it's bad. We can have an opinion on this. We can be anti. We can be pro. We can be closed. We can be open. You can wear a mask or you don't like to wear. It doesn't matter. What is it that unites us? None of those things. Jesus and him crucified. That's the focus. Folks, it's time to build a longer table. It's time to come and sit at the table alongside someone who thinks different than you do. Someone who lives different than you do. Who holds views different than yours. And instead of fixating on those things, instead of trying to get others to convert to our opinion, let's fixate on what we have in common. If anyone was to say to me, what has your strategy as the pastor of Evangel been during COVID? I would express things like the safety of the people that I shepherd, trying to keep them connected during the time, but also to not fall into the trap of the things that divide us, but to try to keep everybody focused on the things that unite us, as unpopular as that has been at times. I'm going to invite the worship team back. Today we're celebrating communion together. And when we celebrate communion, we, we metaphorically say that we're gathering around the table of the Lord. And we're gathering around that table. Why? Because he's invited us. It's not for us to decide who's worthy to sit at his table. For many years, I've seen in churches 
minister stand up and say, who's allowed to participate in communion today? Who am I to say who's allowed to participate in communion? It's the blood and body of Christ represented in what we're celebrating here. If you want to partake in that, I saw a lot of bad apples around the first table. Right? A betrayer. Denier. Lots of issues there. It's not for us to decide who's worthy to be at the table. It's up to us to hold these symbols of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus in our hands and be reminded today of the love and the grace that reaches beyond any boundary that we could ever erect in our lives. Communion is a celebration of unity. Whether you're in this building or you're watching this from home, Communion is a celebration of what we have in common that brought us here in the first place. And so today I'm asking you to reflect on that this morning as we are preparing to celebrate together, asking the Holy Spirit to remind you to strip away all of the distraction and all of the passion and excitement and energy that you have for different opinions and ideas and all of that stuff, to lay that all aside today and focus on this. The one thing that we all have in common, the one thing that brought us here in the first place, the one thing that matters the most. Would you stand with us this morning? And Carlene is going to lead us. And as she does, let's sing and let's pray and let's reflect and let's ask the Holy Spirit. What's this saying to me this morning? To me. Amazing grace, how sweet the
Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 to 24, he writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we eat together this morning? Thank you, Jesus. In verses 25 and 26, it says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup, is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink. We're going to pray together this morning. One of the good things that came out of the, the need to quarantine last week was it's really the first time that I was able to actually watch the live stream at home um, while it was, was ongoing. And I had made a deliberate decision leading up to live streaming that to protect people's privacy we wouldn't do the prayer time over the internet. We would shut down the service prior to that. And as I was watching that, I realized how disconnected I felt from the church family because I was watching as a member of the church family, not as an observer from somewhere who took interest and dropped in, but a member of the church family. I felt disconnected. So I've asked our live stream team to carry our prayer times to the very end of the live stream. So those of you at home can be aware of what's happening, that you can pray along with us, not just today, but in the days that come, and also feel a bigger part. I'm not trying to make you comfortable at home. You need to come back at some point. I'm just saying that. But for now, this will help us feel closer connected, and those who don't want their prayer requests shared in that way will we'll refrain from publicly praying for those. But today we do have a few prayer requests that are important. We're praying for Todd White this morning, and Todd is Ron and Bertie's son. Ron is here with us this morning. Bertie's, Bertie's at home. And uh, Todd's cancer has come back, and uh, he is currently undergoing going some aggressive treatments and uh, really needs a miracle. And so we're praying for Todd this morning. A few weeks ago, I shared a prayer request uh, about a little girl who's a part of our church family named Emma. Emma is just a few months old and just underwent a major transplant surgery of a majority of her internal organs were transplanted. And as is often the case with, with transplants, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride that things seem to be looking good and then things are not. And so 
there is a level of rejection um, with the organs that were donated. Um, not as significant as maybe could be, but nonetheless, there is some rejection. And the doctors are trying different courses of treatment to correct that. And uh, we're going to pray with them that uh, whatever they do is effective and that God, who is a God of miracles, would intervene in that little girl's life. And we also continue to pray for Edith today as she continues her journey uh, with cancer. And um, so let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we are thankful for the one person, the one focus that we all share in unity and in common this morning. And that is Jesus Christ. We are thankful for Jesus and we are thankful, Jesus, for all that you have done. And we are grateful that you tore down the boundaries and you extended your table and you invited us to come and to eat and to be a part of your kingdom and what you're doing. That you have demonstrated such incredible grace and mercy towards us who are so undeserving that our minds can hardly comprehend it. And so we thank you and we pray that you would help us today to be those who also extend the table and not build the fences and the boundaries that we would be like you act like you live like you follow your teaching your life what you model for us in the midst of all the distractions around us and all the voices that are calling us in different directions and father this morning we lift up before you these needs we recognize that there are likely others in this building or watching from home that have significant needs as well. And we pray that you would meet each person right where they are this morning. But Lord, we are aware of Todd and his need for a miracle. And we pray that you would touch his life today. We pray that you would, Lord, help these treatments to be successful. That he would recover and continue to know a full life and long days that you would work a miracle in his life. Lord, would you bring peace to him and his family as they are on this journey with him? Lord, I pray that you would help them. Lord, we pray for little Emma today. We pray for a miracle. We pray that there would be a complete turnaround in her body, that the organs that have been donated would be accepted into her body, that there wouldn't be any rejection at all. I pray for wisdom for those who are caring for her, and I just pray for peace for her family today. And they'll be reminded that you are right there with them in the midst of all of this. We pray for Edith today. We ask for a miracle in her life. We pray, pray for your healing touch. We pray for your peace and your comfort for her and for her family. Lord, we pray for those who over the last few years have been cause to grieve and losing somebody and Lord we know that the road of grief is often the loneliest road we will ever walk to begin with and, and things have just become even so much more lonely as we've been cut off from each other over these last couple of years you bring comfort and peace and strength to the lives of those who are grieving this morning who have lost so much 
Lord, thank you that we could be here today. And we just pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we leave this place and put into practice what we've learned from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for coming this morning. I just want to remind you that we're still in that point where we can't visit inside, but it's a beautiful February day out there. And uh, you... 